0: Volume the Third, Chapter Three of Helen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Berlinson. Helen by Maria Edgeworth. Volume the Third, Chapter Three. in my youth and through the prime of manhood i never entered london without feelings of hope and pleasure it was to me the grand theatre of intellectual activity the field for every species of enterprise and exertion the metropolis of the world of business thought and action there i was sure to find friends and companions to hear the voice of encouragement and praise there society of the most refined sort offered daily its banquets to the mind and new objects of interest and ambition were constantly exciting attention either in politics literature or science these feelings so well described by a man of genius have probably been felt more or less by most young men who have within them any consciousness of talent or any of that enthusiasm that eager desire to have or to give sympathy, which, especially in youth, characterizes noble natures. But after even one or two seasons in a great metropolis, these feelings often change long before they are altered by age. Granville Beauclerc had already persuaded himself that he now detested, as much as he had at first been delighted with, a london life from his metaphysical habits of mind and from the sensibility of his temper he had been too soon disgusted by that sort of general politeness which as he said takes up the time and place of real friendship and as for the intellectual pleasures they were he said too superficial for him and his notions of independence too were at this time quite incompatible with the conventional life of a great capital. His present wish was to live all the year round in the country, with the woman he loved, and in the society of a few chosen friends. Helen quite agreed with him in his taste for the country. She had scarcely ever known any other life, and yet had always been happy and whatever youthful curiosity had been awakened in her mind as to the pleasures of London had been now absorbed by stronger and more tender feelings. Her fate in life, she felt, was fixed, and wherever the man she loved wished to reside, that, she felt, must be her choice. With these feelings they arrived at General Clarendon's delightful house in town, Helen's apartment and Cecilia's were on different floors, and had no communication with each other. It was of little consequence, as their stay in town was to be but short. Yet Helen could not help observing that Cecilia did not express any regret at it, as formerly she would have done. It seemed a symptom of declining affection, of which every the slightest indication was marked and keenly felt by helen the more so because she had anticipated that such must be the consequence of all that had passed between them and there was now no remedy among the first morning visitors admitted were lady castleford and lady katrine hawksby they did not as it struck cecilia "'seemed surprised to see that Miss Stanley was Miss Stanley still. "'Though the day for the marriage had been announced in all the papers as fixed, "'but they did seem now full of curiosity to know how it had come to pass, "'and there was rather too apparent a hope that something was going wrong. "'Their first inquisitive look was met by Lady Cecilia's careless glance in reply.' "'which said better than words could express, "'Nothing the matter, do not flatter yourselves.' "'Then her expertness at general answers, "'which gave no information, "'completely baffled the two curious impertinents. "'They could only learn that the day for the marriage was not fixed, "'that it could not be definitively named "'till some business should be settled by the general.' Law business, they supposed, of course. Lady Cecilia knew nothing about it. Lawyers are such provoking wretches, with their fast bind, fast find, such an unconscionable length of time as they do take for their parchment doings, heeding naught of that little impatient flapper Cupid. Certain that Lady Cecilia was only playing with their curiosity, yet unable to circumvent her lady katrine changed the conversation and lady castlefort preferred a prayer which was she said the chief object of her visit that lady cecilia and miss stanley would come to her on monday she was to have a few friends a very small party and independently of the pleasure she should have in seeing them it would be advantageous perhaps to miss stanley as lady castleford in her softest voice added for from the marriage being postponed even for a few days people might talk and mr beauclerc and miss stanley appearing together would prevent anybody's thinking there was any little nothing so proper now as for a young lady to appear with her future "'so I shall expect you, my dear Cecilia, and Miss Stanley.' And so saying, she departed. Helen's objections were all overruled, and when the engagement was made known to Beauclerc, he shrugged and shrank, and submitted, observing, "'That all men and all women must, from the moment they come within the precincts of London life, give up their time and their will to an imaginary necessity of going when we do not like it where we do not wish to see those whom we have no desire to see and do not care if they were never to see us again except for the sake of their own reputation of playing well their own parts in the grand farce of mock civility helen was sorry to have joined in making an engagement for him which he seemed so much to dislike but lady cecilia laughing maintained that half his reluctance was affectation and the other half a lover-like spirit of monopoly in which he should not be indulged and instead of pretending to be indifferent to what the world might think he ought to be proud to show Helen as a proof of his taste. In dressing Helen this night, Félicie, excited by her lady's exhortations, displayed her utmost skill. Mademoiselle Félicie had a certain petite métaphysique de toilette, of which she was justly vain. She could talk, and as much to the purpose as most people of le genre classique and le genre momentique of the different styles of dress that suit different styles of face and while she worked and wondered at the work she made she threw out from time to time her ideas on the subject to form the taste of helen's little maid rose who in mute attention held the light and assiduously presented pins not your pins so fast one after the other miss rose tenez tenez cried mademoiselle you think in england always too much of your pin in your dress too little of our taste too little of our elegance too much of your what you call tidiness or god know what but never you mind that so much miss rose and you not prim up your little mouth but listen to me never you put in one pin before you ask yourself miss rose what for i do it in every toilette that has taste there is above all tenes, a character a sentiment to be support suppose your lady is to be superbe or she will rather be elegant or charmante or interessante or distinguée well that is all very well and you dress her to that idee one or the other well, very well, but none of your what you call odd. No, no, never, Miss Rose. That is not still noble. Twill only become le petit minois of your English original. I wash my hand of that always. The toilette superbe, Mademoiselle held to be the easiest of all those which she had named with favor. It may be accomplished by any common hands but head is requisite to reach the toilette distinguée the toilette superbe requires only cost a toilette distinguée demands care there was a happiness as well as care in fellacy's genius for dress which ever keeping the height of fashion in view never lost sight of nature adapting selecting combining to form a perfect whole in which art itself concealed appeared only as she expressed it in the sublime of simplicity, in the midst of all her talking, however, she went on with the usual business, and as she finished pronounced commence est simple when they arrived at Lady Castleford's. Lady Cecilia was surprised to find a line of carriages and noise, and crowds of footmen. How is this? She had understood that it was to be one of those really small parties, those select reunions of some few of the high and mighty families who chanced to be in town before Christmas. "'But how is this?' Lady Cecilia repeated to herself, as she entered the hall, AMAZED TO FIND IT BLAZING WITH LIGHT, A CROWD ON THE STAIRS, AND IN THE ANTEROOM A CROWD, AS SHE SOON FELT, OF AN UNUSUAL SORT. IT WAS NOT THE SOFT CRUSH OF ARISTOCRACY. THEY FOUND HARD UNACCUSTOMED CITIZEN ELBOWS, STRANGE, ROUND-SHOULDERED, SQUARE-BACKED MEN AND WOMEN, SO OVERDRESSED, SO BEJEWELLED, SO COARSE. SHOCKING TO SEE, IMPOSSIBLE TO AVOID not one figure, one face. Lady Cecilia had ever seen before, till at last from the midst of the throng emerged a fair form, a being, as it seemed, of other mould, certainly of different cast. It was one of Cecilia's former intimates, Lady Emily Greville, whom she had not seen since her return from abroad. Joyfully they met, and stopped, and talked. She was hastening away, Lady Emily said, after having been an hour on duty. Lady Castleford had made it a point with her to stay after dinner. She had dined there, and had stayed, and now God was relieved. But who are all these people? What is all this, my dear Lady Emily? asked Cecilia. Do you not know? Louisa has trapped you into coming, then, to-night, without telling you how it is. Not a word did she tell me. I expected to meet only our own world. A very different world you perceive this. A sort of farce this is to the double distress, a comedy. In short, one of Lady Castleford's brother is going to stand for the city, and citizens and citoyens, must be propitiated when an election is in the case all other things give place and besides he has just married the daughter of some amazing merchant worth i don't know how many plums so le petit who is proud of his brother for he is reckoned the genius of the family made a point with louisa to do this she put up her eyebrows and stood out as long as she could "'But Lord Castlefort had his way, for he holds the purse, you know. "'And so she was forced to make a party for these goths and vandals. "'And, of course, she thought it best to do it directly, "'out of season, you know, when nobody will see it. "'And she consulted me whether it should be large or small. "'I advised a large party by all means as crowded as possible.' "'Yes, yes, I understand,' said Cecilia, "'to hide the shame in the multitude. "'Vastly well, very fair, all this, "'except the trapping us into it, "'who have nothing to do with it.' "'Nothing to do with it? Pardon me!' cried Lady Emily. "'It could not have been done without us. "'And trapping us? "'Do you not understand that we are the baits to the traps?' Bringing those animals here, wild beasts or tame, only to meet one another, would have been doing business no-how. We are what they are come for to see, or to have it to say that they have seen the exclusives, exquisites, or transcendentals, or whatever else they call us. Lady Emily Greville's carriage was now called in the anteroom. I must go. "'but first make me known to your friend Miss Stanley. "'You see, I know her by instinct.' "'But Lady Emily Greville's carriage!' now resounded reiteratedly, "'and gentlemen with cloaks stood waiting. "'And as she put hers on, Lady Emily stooped forward and whispered, "'I do not believe one word of what they say of her.' "'And she was off, and Lady Cecilia stood for an instant, "'looking after her and wondering,' what she could mean by those last words. Concluding, however, that she had not heard aright or had missed some intervening name, and that these words, in short, could not possibly apply to Helen, Lady Cecilia turned to her. They resumed their way onward, and at length they reached the grand reception room. In the middle of that brilliantly lighted saloon immediately under the center chandelier, was ample verge and space enough reserved for the elite of the world. Circle it was not, nor square, nor form regularly defined. Yet the bounds were guarded. There was no way of getting to the farther end of the saloon, or to the apartments open in the distance beyond it, except by passing through this enclosed space, in which one fair entrance was practicable, and one ample exit full in view on the opposite side. Several gentlemen of fashionable bearing held the outposts of this privileged place, at back of sofa, or side of fauteuil, stationary or wandering near. Some chosen few were within. Two caryatides gentlemen leaned one on each side of the fireplace, and in the centre of the rug stood a remarkably handsome man of fine figure perfectly dressed his whole air exquisitely scornful excruciatingly miserable and loftily abstract twas wonderful twas strange twas passing strange how one so lost to all sublunary concerns so far above the follies of inferior mortals AS HE LOOKED, CAME HERE, SO EXTREMELY WELL DRESSED TO. HOW HAPPENED IT, SO NAUSEATING THE WHOLE, AS HE SEEMED, SO WISHING THAT THE BUSINESS OF THE WORLD WERE DONE? WITH HALF-CLOSED DREAMY EYELIDS HE LOOKED SILENT DOWN UPON TWO LADIES WHO SAT OPPOSITE TO HIM, RALLYING, ABUSING, AND ADMIRING HIM TO HIS VANITY'S CONTENT. They gave him his choice of three names: La Le Noyer, les or les blaset La Le Noyer, he shook his head too common he would have none of it. Les frondeurs no, too much trouble. He shrugged his abhorrence. Les blaset he allowed might be too true, but would they hazard a substantive verb? He would give them four-and-twenty hours to consider, and he would take twenty-four himself to decide. They should have his definitive to-morrow, and he was sliding away. But Lady Castlefort, as he passed her, cried, "'Going, Lord Beltravers, going, are you?' in an accent of surprise and disappointment. And she whispered, "'I am hard at work here. "'acting receiver-general to these city-worthies, "'and you do not pity me, cruel.' "'And she looked up with languishing eyes "'that so begged for sympathy. "'He threw upon her one look of commiseration, reproachful. "'Pity you, yes, but why will you do these things? "'And why did you bring me here to do this horrid sort of work?' "'And he vanished.' Lady Cecilia Clarendon and Miss Stanley now appeared in the offing, and now reached the straits. Lady Castlefort rose with vivacity extraordinary and went forward several steps. Dear Cecilia, Miss Stanley so good, Mr. Beauclerc so happy, the general could not-oh, sorry! Then with hand pressed on hers, Miss Stanley. "'So kind of you to come. "'Lady Grace, give me leave. "'Miss Stanley, Lady Grace Bland.' "'And in a whisper, Lord Beltravers, aunt.' "'Lady Grace, with a hearty drawback motion "'and a supercilious arching of her brows, "'was happy to have the honour. Honour usually prolonged, "'and some guttural sounds followed.' BUT FURTHER WORDS, IF WORDS THEY WERE, WHICH SHE SYLLABLED BETWEEN SNUFFLING AND MUMBLING WERE UTTERLY UNINTELLIGIBLE, AND HELEN, WITHOUT BEING VERY HAPPY, OR HAPPY AT ALL, ONLY RETURNED BEND FOR BEND. LADY Cecilia THEN PRESENTED HER TO A GROUP OF SISTER-GRACES, STANDING NEAR THE SOFAS OF MAMMAS AND CHAPERONES, NOT EACH A DIFFERENT GRACE but similar each, indeed upon the very same identical pattern air of young lady fashion, well-bred and apparently well-natured. No sooner was Miss Stanley made known to them by Lady Cecilia than, smiling just enough, not a muscle too much, they moved. The ranks opened softly but sufficiently, and Helen was in the group amongst them, but not of them, AND OF THIS SHE BECAME IMMEDIATELY SENSIBLE, THOUGH WITHOUT KNOWING HOW OR WHY. ONE OF THESE DAUGHTERS HAD HAD EXPECTATIONS LAST SEASON, FROM HAVING BEEN FREQUENTLY MR. Beauclerc's PARTNER, AND THE MOTHER WAS NOW FANNING HERSELF OPPOSITE TO HIM. BUT HELEN KNEW naught OF THIS. TO HER ALL WAS APPARENTLY SMOOTH, SOFT, AND SMILING while whenever any of the unprivileged multitude, the city monsters, passed near this high-born, high-bred group, they looked as though the rights of pride were infringed, and, smiling scorn, they dropped from half-closed lips such syllables of withering contempt, as they thought these vulgar victims merited, careless if they heard or not. "'rather rejoicing to see the sufferers wince "'beneath the wounds which they inflicted "'in their pride and pomp of sway. "'Pride!' thought Helen. "'Was it pride? "'If pride it was, how unlike what she had been taught "'to consider the proper pride of aristocracy! "'How unlike that noble sort "'which she had seen, admired, and loved!' Helen fancied what Lady Davenant would have thought. How ignoble, how mean, how vulgar she would have condemned these sneers and scoffs from the nobly to the lowly-born! How unworthy of their rank and station in society! They who ought to be the first in courtesy because the first in place! As these thoughts passed rapidly in Helen's mind, she involuntarily looked towards Beauclerc. But she was so encompassed by her present companions that she could not discover him. Had she been able to see his countenance, she would have read in it, at once, how exactly he was at that instant feeling with her. More indignant than herself, for his high chivalrous devotion to the fair, could ill endure the readiness with which the gentlemen, attendants at Ottoman or Sofa, lent their aid to mock and to embarrass every passing party of the city tribe, mothers and their hapless daughter-train. At this instant Lady Bearcroft, who, if she had not good breeding, certainly had good nature, came up to Beauclerc, AND WHISPERED EARNESTLY, AND WITH AN EXPRESSION OF STRONG INTEREST IN HER COUNTENANCE. AS YOU LOVE HER, DO NOT HEED ONE WORD YOU HEAR ANYBODY SAY THIS NIGHT, FOR IT'S ALL ON PURPOSE TO VEX YOU, AND I AM CERTAIN AS YOU ARE, IT'S ALL FALSE, ALL ENVY. AND THERE SHE GOES, ENVY HERSELF IN THE BLACK JAUNDICE, CONTINUED SHE, LOOKING AT LADY KATRINE HAWKSBY. "'who passed at that instant. "'Good heavens!' cried Beauclerc. "'What can—' "'No, no!' interrupted Lady Bearcroft. "'No, no, do not ask. "'Better not. "'Best you should know no more. "'Only keep your temper whatever happens. "'Go you up to the hill, "'like the man in the tail, "'and let the black stones "'ball themselves hoarse. "'Dumb! "'Go you on.' "'and seize your pretty singing-thinking bird. "'The sooner the better. "'So fare you well.' "'And she disappeared in the crowd. Beauclerc, to whom she was perfectly unknown, "'though she had made him out, "'totally at a loss to imagine what interest she could take in Helen, "'or in him, or what she could possibly mean, "'rather inclined to suppose she was a madwoman.' and he forgot everything else, as he saw Helen with Lady Cecilia emerging from the bevy of young ladies and approaching him. They stopped to speak to some acquaintance, and he tried to look at Helen as if he were an indifferent spectator, and to fancy what he should think of her if he saw her now for the first time. He thought that he should be struck not only with her beauty, but with her graceful air her ingenuous countenance, so expressive of the freshness of natural sensibility. She was exquisitely well-dressed, too, and that, as Felicie observed, goes for much, even with your most sensible men. Altogether he was charmed, whether considering her as with the eyes of an unbiased stranger or with his own, and all he heard confirmed, and, although he would not have allowed it, strengthened his feelings. He heard it said that though there were some as handsome women in the room, there were none so interesting, and some of the young men added, as lovely as Lady Blanche, but with more expression. A citizen with whom Beauclerc could have shaken hands on the spot said, There's one of the high-breds now. That's well-bred, too. In the height of the rapture of his feelings he overtook Lady Cecilia, who, telling him that they were going on to another room, delivered Helen to his care, and herself taking the arm of some ready gentleman, they proceeded as fast as they could through the crowd to the other end of the room. This was the first time Helen had ever seen Lady Cecilia in public, where certainly she appeared to great advantage, not thinking about herself, but ever willing to be pleased. So bright, so gay, she was sunshine, which seemed to spread its beams wherever she turned, and she had something to say to everybody, or to answer quick to whatever they said, or looked happy always in the apropos of the moment. Little there might be, perhaps, in what she said, but there was all that was wanted, just what did for the occasion. In others there often appeared a distress for something to say, or a dead dullness of countenance opposite to you. From others a too fast, hazarded broadside of questions and answers GLADS AND sorries IN CHAIN-SHOTS THAT DID NO EXECUTION, BECAUSE THERE WAS NO GOOD AIM, CONGRATULATIONS AND CONDOLENCES PLAYING AT CROSS-PURPOSES. THESE WERE MISTAKES, MISFORTUNES, WHICH COULD NEVER OCCUR IN LADY CECILIA'S NATURAL GRACE AND ACQUIRED TACT OF MANNER. HELEN WAS AMUSED AS SHE FOLLOWED HER, in watching the readiness with which she knew how to exchange the necessary counters in the commerce of society she was amused till her attention was distracted by hearing as she and beauclerc passed the whispered words il promessis sposi, look la belle fiancée these words were repeated as they went on and lady cecilia heard someone say I THOUGHT IT WAS BROKEN OFF. THAT WAS ALL SLANDER, THEN. SHE RECOLLECTED LADY EMILY'S WORDS, AND TERRIFIED LEST HELEN SHOULD HEAR MORE OF. SHE KNEW NOT WHAT. SHE BEGAN TO TALK TO HER AS FAST AS SHE COULD, WHILE THEY WERE STOPPED IN THE DOORWAY BY A CROWD. SHE SUCCEEDED FOR THE MOMENT WITH HELEN. SHE HAD NOT HEARD THE LAST SPEECH and she could not, as long as Lady Cecilia spoke, hear more. But Beauclerc, again distinguishing the words Belle fiancé," and as he turned to discover the speaker, a fat matron near him asked, Who is it? And the daughter answered, It is that handsome girl, with the white rose in her hair. Hush! said the brother, on whose arm she leaned handsome is that handsome does. Handsome does, thought Beauclerc, and the mysterious warning of his unknown friend recurred to him. He was astonished, alarmed, furious, but the whispering party had passed on, and just then Lady Cecilia, decrying Mr. Churchill in the distance, she made towards him conversation sure to be had in abundance from him. He discerned them from afar, and was happily prepared both with a ready bit of wit and with a proper greeting. His meeting with Lady Cecilia was, of course, just the same as ever. He took it up where he left off at Clarendon Park. No difference, no hiatus. His bow to Beauclerc and Helen, to Helen and Beauclerc, JOINED IN ONE LITTLE SWEEP OF A CONGRATULATORY MOTION, WAS INCOMPARABLE. IT SAID EVERYTHING THAT A BOW COULD SAY, AND MORE. IT IMPLIED SUCH A HAPPY FREEDOM FROM ENVY OR JEALOUSY, SUCH A POLITE acquiescence IN THE DECREES OF FATE, SUCH A PHILOSOPHIC INDIFFERENCE, SUCH A COOL, SARCASTIC SUPERIORITY TO THE EVENT. "'and he began to take Lady Cecilia with one of his prepared impromptus. "'At the instant your ladyship came up, "'I am afraid I started actually in a trance. "'I do believe. "'Methought I was—where do you think? "'In the Temple of Jaggernaut.' "'Why?' said Lady Cecilia, smiling. "'Methought,' continued Horace, "'that I was in the Temple of Jaggernaut.' That one strange day in the year when ill castes meet, when all distinction of castes and ranks is forgotten, the abomination of mixing them altogether permitted, for their sins, no doubt, high caste and low, from the abandoned pariah to the Brahmin prince, from their Billingsgate and Ferringolin without, suppose, up to their St. James's Street and Grosvenor Square. "'Mingle, mingle, ye who mingle may, "'white spirits and grey, black spirits and blue. "'Now, pray, look around. "'Is not this juggernaut knight with Lady Castlefort "'And you,' said Lady Cecilia, "'are not you the great juggernaut himself, "'driving over all in your triumphant chariot of sarcasm "'and crushing all the victims in your way?' "'This took place with Horace. "'It put him in spirits.' in train, and he fired away at Lady Castlefoot, whom he had been flattering a le trance five minutes before. I so admire that acting of sacrifice in your belle cuisine tonight. Pasta herself could not do it better. There is a look of, oh, you just gods, what a victim am I! And with those upturned eyes so charming, well and seriously it is a sad sacrifice. Fathers have flinty hearts by parental prescription, but husbands, petit bossus, especially, should have mercy for their own sakes. They should not strain their marital power too far. But, said Lady Cecilia, it is curious that one born and bred such an ultra-exclusive as Louisa Castleford should be obliged after her marriage immediately to open her doors, and turn ultra liberal, or an universal suffragist, in all consequence of these mess-alliances. True, true, said Churchill, with a solemn, pathetic shake of the head. Gentlemen and noblemen should consider before they make these low matches to save their studs, or their souls, or their entailed estates. Whatever be the necessity, there can be no apology for outraging all bien-science. Necessity has no law, but it should have some decency. Think of bringing upon a foolish elder brother. But we won't be personal. No, don't pray, Horace, said Lady Cecilia, moving on. But think, only think, my dear Cecilia, think what it must be to be how dee do and to be dear-sistered by such bodies as these in public. Sad, sad, said Lady Cecilia. The old French nobility, continued Churchill, used to call these low-money-matches maître de fumier sur Dirty work at best, said Lady Cecilia. But still, said Horace, it might be done with decency, if not with majesty. But in the midst of all this, said Lady Cecilia, I want some ice very much for myself and for Helen more. I have a notion we shall find some here, replied he, if you will come this way, in this sanctum sanctorum of Lady Catrine's." HE LED THEM ON TO A LITTLE INNER APARTMENT, WHERE, AS HE SAID, LADY KATRINE Hawksby AND HER SET DO ALWAYS SCANDAL TAKE, AND SOMETIMES TEA. TEA AND PUNCH, CONTINUED HE, YOU KNOW, IN LONDON NOW IS QUITE A LA Francaise, AND IT IS ASTONISHING TO ME, WHO AM BUT A MAN, WHAT STRONG PUNCH LADIES CAN TAKE. ONLY WHEN IT IS ICED said Cecilia, smiling. Be it so, said he, it's very refreshing ice, and more refreshing scandal, and here we have both in perfection, scandal hot and hot, and ice cold and cold. By this time they had reached the entrance to what he called Lady Catrine's Sanctum Sanctorum, where she had gathered round the iced punch and tea-table a select party, whom she had drawn together with the promise of the other half of a half-published report, a report in which I Promessi Spossi and La Belle Fiancée were implicated. "'Stop here one moment,' cried Churchill. "'One moment longer. Let me see before we are seen. Look in. Look in, pray, at this group. Lady Katrine herself on the sofa, finger up, holding forth, and the deaf old woman stretching forward to hear, while the other, with the untasted punch, sits suspended in curiosity. What can it be, she says, or seems to say? Now, now, see the pretty one's hands and eyes uplifted, and the ugly one. With that look of horror, is exclaiming, You don't say so, my dear Lady Katrine. Admirable creatures, cant and scandal personified. I wish Wilkie were here, worth any money to him. And he should call it the scandal party, said Lady Cecilia. He told me he never could venture upon a subject unless he could give it a good name. At this moment Lady Catrine, having finished her story, rose and, awaking from the abstraction of malice, she looked up and saw Helen and Lady Cecilia, and as she came forward, Churchill whispered between them, "'Now we are going comfortably to enjoy, no doubt, Madame de Savenier's pleasure de maldire du prochain, at the right hour, too.' churchill left them there lady katrine welcoming her victims her unsuspicious victims he slid off to the friends round the tea-table to learn from kant what scandal had been telling beauclerc was gone to inquire for the carriage the instant helen appeared all eyes were fixed upon her and belle fiancee was murmured round and cecilia heard "'He's much to be pitied.' "'At this moment, Lord Castleford went up to Helen. "'She had always been a favourite of his. "'He was grateful to her for her constant kindness to him. "'And, peevish though the little man might be, "'he had a good heart, and he showed it now "'by instantly taking Helen out of the midst of the starers "'and begging her opinion upon a favourite picture of his.' a madonna was it a raphael or was it not he and mr churchill he said were at issue about it in short no matter what he said it engrossed helen's attention so that she could not hear anything that passed and could not be seen by the starers and he detained her in conversation till beauclerc came to say the carriage is ready lady cecilia is impatient "'Lord Castlefort opened a door that led at once to the staircase, "'so that they had not to recross all the rooms, "'but got out immediately. "'The smallest service merits thanks, "'and Helen thanked Lord Castlefort by a look which he appreciated. "'Even in the few words which Beauclerc had said "'as he announced the carriage, "'she had perceived that he was agitated.' and as he attended her in silence down the stairs his look was grave and preoccupied she saw he was displeased and she thought he was displeased with her when he had put them into the carriage he wished them good-night are you not coming with us cried lady cecilia no he thanked her he had rather walk and he added i shall not see you at breakfast i am engaged "'Home!' said Lady Cecilia, drawing up the glass with a jerk. Helen looked out anxiously. Beauclerc had turned away, but she caught one more glance of his face as the lamp flared upon it. She saw, and she was sure, that "'Something is very much the matter. I am certain of it.' "'Nonsense, my dear Helen,' said Lady Cecilia. "'The matter is that he is tired to death, as I am sure I am. "'There's more than that,' said Helen. "'He is angry,' and she sighed. "'Now, Helen, do not torment yourself about nothing,' said Cecilia, who, not being sure whether Beauclerc had heard anything, had not looked at his countenance or remarked his tone. Her mind was occupied with what had passed while Helen was looking at the Madonna.' lady cecilia had tried to make out the meaning of these extraordinary starings and whisperings lady katrine would not tell her anything distinctly but said strange reports so sorry it had got into the papers those vile libelous papers of course she did not believe of miss stanley after all nothing very bad "'A little awkward only. Might be hushed up. Better not talk of it to-night. "'But I will try, Cecilia, in the morning, to find those paragraphs for you.' "'Lady Cecilia determined to go as early as possible in the morning, and make out the whole. "'And, had she plainly told this to Helen, it would have been better for all parties.' but she continued to talk of the people they had seen to hide her thoughts from helen who all the time felt as in a feverish dream watching the lights of the carriage flip by like fiery eyes while she thought only of the strange words she had heard and why they should have made beauclerc angry with her at last they were at home As they went in, Lady Cecilia inquired if the general had come in. Yes, he had been at the house for some time, and was in bed. This was a relief. Helen was glad not to see anyone, or to be obliged to say anything more that night. Lady Cecilia bade her, Be a good child and go to sleep. How much Helen slept! May be left to the judgment of those who have any imagination. End of volume the third, chapter three.